So are you excited yet? Christmas is it's almost here. It's coming soon. Uh, I think for us adults, that might actually bring more anxiety with, it, with all the preparations we're trying to get done as Christmas arrives. But I actually kind of spoke about that last week. But while this is a busy time, I hope that you know we're able to uh, still experience a bit of that growing excitement for the coming of Christmas. I think this is where kids can kind of teach us a lesson about Advent. They get really excited as Christmas gets closer, uh, don't they? I mean, and why not? Sure, for a lot of them, the excitement is more about those presents than it is uh, about Jesus. But still, even so, there's a sort of a parable there for us in that. Longing for these good material things, as intense as that longing and desire can be, it points us it too, and it reminds us that there is something, someone, even more important that we should long to see when he comes. And the good news is, he is coming. As we grow up, I think we kind of lose this extreme sense of anticipation in this season. Uh, the season of Advent gives us an opportunity to kind of recapture that a little bit to um, kind of revel in that waiting, that building desire during these weeks of Advent. But what is it, though, that we're waiting for? What is it? You know, are we just pretending each year to look forward to Jesus' birth, which is something that actually happened once in history, a thousand years ago? Uh, Or is there still something, still something that we even now can deeply desire and hope that we get to experience. Well, of course, this is what it's all about. There's more that we still wait for and hope for. Today's first reading was from the prophet Isaiah. He was a man who lived in Jerusalem about 700 years before Jesus was born. And he wrote at a time when the king of Judah, Ahaz, had given himself up to a life of wickedness. He introduced pagan customs and idolatry into the land. In short, he was an evil king. It was as if the family tree of kings descended from the great King David had been cut down, and all that left was this dead stump. The line of kings seems to have ended. But Isaiah told his people that there was hope. He wrote that a shoot shall sprout from the stump of King David's father, Jesse. This meant that a new king would arise from King David's descendants. Even though it seemed like that line of kings had been cut off and was dead, new life was going to come from it. A good king would arise to bring justice and peace to the entire world. And the weird thing this king is promised to live forever. So today, 2,700 years later, these words of Isaiah, they still speak to us. But as we hear them, we can't help but think of Jesus. He is a descendant of David. He is a shoot from the stump of Jesse, whose crowning as king we celebrated just a few weeks ago the end of ordinary time. We celebrated 
Christ the King Sunday. So it is Jesus Christ who is most fully anointed with the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit that Isaiah listed in our first reading today. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, piety, fear of the Lord. It's Jesus Christ who is the one that, as Isaiah wrote, judges with justice, he's fair, who punishes the evildoers and who rewards the innocent. Isaiah's prophecy of a new and glorious king, 700 years, he made this prophecy, 700 years before Jesus was born, but it has come true. Jesus Christ was born and he reigns now and forever. What about that other part of the prophecy we heard? That part where the wolf will be the guest of the lamb. Sounds great, doesn't it? So much peace. No more conflict. Well, Christ the King has come, but there's still conflict in the world, for sure. There's sin everywhere. Discord, division, hatred. Was Isaiah wrong? Or should we keep waiting for this peace? Well, John the Baptist, whose work is recalled in today's Gospel reading, gives us the answer. John prepared the way of the Lord by humbly calling everyone to repent of their sins. And while the baptisms John performed did not forgive sins, they were actions that showed a sincere desire, um, a sincere sorrow, a sincere repentance in those who came out to be baptized in that river. But still, those baptized by John, even after their baptisms, they desired more. They wanted true forgiveness. They wanted the grace to live a blessed life according to God's plan. And John made it clear that one was coming, just like Isaiah had foretold all those centuries prior. One who would baptize not with water alone, but with the Holy Spirit and fire. Today, we know that Christ did come. And most of us here have received the sacraments of baptism and of confirmation. In these sacraments, through Christ, we receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit that Isaiah wrote about. And which Jesus, of course, as I said, possesses most fully of all. And which he now shares in abundance with us. So these seven gifts are important, but this all kind of begs the question. What are they? I always found them a bit confusing when I was learning about them. What are the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit? You learned about them in, way back in religious said, but maybe you don't recall. And then another question, how do we know if we have these gifts? Well, in short, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are seven, quote, permanent dispositions. Permanent dispositions given to us first in baptism and strengthened within us in the sacrament of confirmation, which make us more open to follow God's prompting in our daily lives, more ready to respond when God nudges us in a certain way. There's an analogy I use all the time, so you may have heard it, when I'm teaching about the gifts of the Holy Spirit that can help us to understand. So, if we are like a sailboat on the water, and God's graces his helps in our daily lives are like gusts of wind that that flow across us. Well, the sails are like the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If we've got the sails up, 
and the graces come along, we're going to respond and move in the direction God asks us to go, or that he's pushing us. And we will have the ability to catch the wind and to move forward under the power of God's grace, to act without hesitation when God inspires us to do so. So, for example, you know, the gift of fortitude, courage. If you've got this gift and uh, someone's challenging you to maybe do something you know is wrong, if you've got the gift of, of fortitude, you're going to very readily, uh, when God he kind of stirs your conscience to say, this isn't right, you're going you're gonna to say, no, I'm not doing it. You're not going to hesitate. You'll just be able to do more easily what God asks. John the Baptist tells us this, that you know, if we have these gifts of this Holy Spirit and we respond to them, we live them out, we're going to see some fruit from that in our lives. There will be something evident coming about. Uh, We will produce good fruit as evidence of our repentance. What kind of fruit? What's this going to look like? Well, traditionally, the the church lists 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit. And I won't go through all of them, but I will say that uh, they include the peace that Isaiah promised. They include the modesty that we see in the work of John the Baptist, who leads others to Christ. They include the faithfulness and the chastity of St. Joseph as he stood by Mary during her pregnancy. And they include the joy and the charity of the Blessed Mother as she anticipates the birth of her son, Jesus. Isaiah has given us two powerful prophecies in today's reading. The first, that a king will come, has proven true in Jesus Christ. Even if it did take 700 years for that prophecy to come true, it did. The second, the arrival of the promised peace when the wolf will be the guests of the lamb. Uh, That's also proven true. But it just hasn't been completely realized yet. This is why we say we now live in a time that's often called the already but not yet. The peace of God's kingdom promised by Isaiah is in the fruits of the Holy Spirit now present in the lives of Christians. When we respond to those gifts of the Holy Spirit and live out our faith with God's grace and help, this peace does break into the world. But the entire world does not yet enjoy this peace. There are some who do not know Christ. It's up to us to show the fruits of the gospel to the world so that Christ can be, as it says, a signal for the nations, a sign to draw them all in to Jesus. So the fullness, in the fullness of time, justice will flourish and we will enjoy a fullness of peace forever. So as Advent passes and Christmas grows near, we should try to rekindle that anticipation, that desire that's so strong in our young people for Christmas. Recall that Christ has entered the world and that through his church, we already bring his peace to the world, but we still await with deep longing the fullness of that peace that we trust will come at the end of time.